Welcome back to a delayed edition of the Sports Medicine Orthopod. Drew and I recorded a show on Friday about Joel Embiid, and at that time we knew he had what was suspected to be a small lateral meniscus tear. His return to the court was indefinite. The report was that he was not going to have surgery, and as we all know, he played game one Sunday against the Hawks, logging, I think, 38 minutes, scoring 39 points. And so the crux of the show was that not all meniscus tears are created equal. Some can be treated without surgery, and this just proved it. So there's good stuff in here, plus Drew gives us a little education on cicadas. He knows a lot more about cicadas than any human really should, so it's worth a listen. Anyway, here's the show. Welcome back to the Sports Medicine North Pod. I'm joined today by our good friend, Drew Burleson, sports medicine specialist out of Beacon Ortho in Cincinnati. Drew, what's going on, man? So every 17 years, uh, certain parts of the United States are overrun with cicadas. And right now, this year is that time in Cincinnati. So if you hear things like chirping outside of my window, it's just massive amounts of cicadas just flying around all the trees. The serenade of the cicadas. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't mind it to be honest with you. I mean, they don't stink, they don't bite, they don't sting, they don't do it. It's just it's kind of a it's an interesting phenomenon that happens again. Like I said, once every seventeen years, and I don't mind the sound. So I don't know. It's uh, I know some people hate it. It's really not. I, I kind of like it. It's kind of cool. <laughs> um, we we don't have cicadas in California. Actually, my first cicada experience was going back east. I think to the D.C. area, and I heard these things chirping constantly and i was just like what is going on here <laughs> oh, I mean, there's I mean, you always you think all that noise is always a, a cricket but i mean there's a difference between cicadas cicadas they're all di- they're all different yeah yeah i didn't know you were such the uh, entomologist you got some uh-huh. knowledge there <laughs> i'm very versatile <laughs> do, do you do impressions of the noises they make that would be awesome <laughs> no i leave that to my daughter she's really good at it we'll get her for the next podcast all right um well we brought drew on today to talk about joel Embiid because it's an interesting story as everybody knows now he has a small meniscus tear but the revealing of that diagnosis came in a bit more of a delayed fashion than uh typical and also the treatment for it is to the lay person, probably a bit unusual. I think when people hear meniscus tears, they're thinking surgery, but Joel Embiid is going to go uh, or approach this meniscus tear uh, from a non-surgical standpoint at this point with the hope that he can get back to play in these NBA playoffs. And so just to recap, I believe it's game four against Wizards. He goes down. It looks like he falls on his back. If you slow motion the video, his right knee does uh, buckle inward slightly, what we call that uh, small valgus moment. And to me, when I was watching it, it kind of looked like James Wiseman. It wasn't super obvious. It didn't look that bad. And he walks off the floor, you know, kind of limps, stays out of the game. Next day, MRI. And the results of the MRI weren't revealed, but it was just said that he's day-to-day will be reevaluated. And then the next day, two days after the game, it's revealed that multiple orthopedic doctors have reviewed the MRI and they've come to the consensus that he has a small lateral meniscus tear in his right knee, will not have surgery, will rehab, and uh, there's no definite timetable, but the hope is that he can rejoin the Sixers at some point during this playoff run. So 
Drew, you know, I brought up James Wiseman. He did a meniscus tear. He went on to have season-ending surgery. So what gives here? I mean, the, the scenario is a little bit is similar but different at the same time. I think, like again, like if the, the fact that the 76ers are in the playoffs right now, I mean, you know, they've, they've got a good team. I think that's the hesitancy to pull and beat out and uh, shut him down for the rest of the season and just have surgery. Um, again, I mean, given the fact that he had an MRI that was initially read as negative, uh, you, you have to assume that this meniscus tear is very, very small. And again, like the, small enough to where someone may look at it and think maybe that's a normal or at least like a variant of normal. So again, like given the fact that, you know, they're in the playoffs, it's a very small MRI, I mean, sorry, very small meniscus tear. I mean, it's absolutely reasonable to say, hey, you know, let's do a steroid injection, give us a few days, rehab this a little bit and see you know, if you can play for the rest of the season. And then maybe if it's, if it's bothering you at the end of the season, have surgery at that point, or, you know, if the pain eventually goes away, maybe you don't have to do anything for it. Yeah. And I think that's an important uh, thing to point out that if there's multiple opinions, it it may not necessarily be a lateral meniscus tear. It it, it could be, but it might not be also. And many meniscus tears on MRI are very obvious, but an MRI is not perfect. It's not as good as us putting a camera inside the knee and actually looking with our own eyes, there is some room for error for an MRI. And so that is where interpretation and uh, disagreement can occur over these types of results, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like the misconception is that if you get an MRI, you're going to see absolutely everything and you're going to know exactly what to do. I mean, some of the stuff you like, you don't necessarily know. I mean, could that meniscus tear have already been there? I mean, again, are you just picking as MRI picking up something that was there you know, six months ago, but now he fell on his knee and you get an MRI and you see something that's there. Is that actually causing the, the pain or is it causing the symptoms? You have to correlate what you're finding on the MRI to the actual exam and what the patient is telling you. But also at the same time, I mean, like it, it, you're, you're looking for essentially fluid going through different, you know, planes uh, on an MRI. And again, if the plane is for it to go through again, like that plane being the tear is so small that the smallest little bit of fluid is going through there. It's going to be very hard to pick that up. And so, I mean, Again, there can there can be some disagreement about what you're actually seeing on those imaging studies. Like, and again, as you stated before, I mean, nothing is as perfect as going in there and seeing with a camera or, or with a surgery. But again, but you're it's not that easy to be able to do that. Yeah, and we've been in the situation in our own practices where we have an MRI that's not conclusive, and sometimes you make that decision to go to surgery. But the first step of that surgery is what we call diagnostic arthroscopy, which basically means we're going to look around and we'll look with our own eyes via a camera at that meniscus and we'll see, is it torn? Is it not? And that may be something that, as you said, Joel Embiid faces in the off season. Uh, we'll just kind of have to, have to see how things play out. I think the, the million dollar question to you, Drew, is do all meniscus tears need surgery? Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, like there's... So we've discussed this multiple times on the podcast, but I mean, yeah, I mean, ones that aren't causing mechanical symptoms, I mean, are ones where it feels like your knee's getting stuck. I mean, a lot of the times you can treat those without surgery. Uh, I mean, in a professional athlete that's having pain, I mean, I think that you, so a lot of the times you err on, on trimming out that, that part of that meniscus. Cause again, like you don't want, let, let's say hypothetically, he ends up having surgery in the off season. I mean, you don't want this thing to try to treat this non-operatively and then waste a bunch of time. And then all of a sudden he's dealing with this next season and you have to have surgery at that point in time. I mean, I, I think that if he has a small meniscus tear, my bet would be that he's going to potentially get a steroid injection, try to get him back to play this season. If he can't, 
that I think he's going to undergo surgery sooner rather than later so that, again, he can have as much time to recover before next season. Yeah, and something you pointed out there is very key, and that is pain, the symptom of pain. We've talked many times before, meniscus has a hor horrific blood supply. It's why it doesn't heal itself readily. It also doesn't have a great nerve supply. And so there are some particularly small meniscus tears that you know might not hurt some people, or in some cases, as we've seen in our practices, might eventually stop hurting. Um, so it's very individual, as you've said, you kind of have to take a lot of pieces of information and evidence and, and put them together to make the decision that makes the most sense for that person. And also, as you said, the timing for Joel Embiid matters a lot here, right? If it's, um, you know, they're not in the playoffs, if he's already in his offseason, the decision to make him may be different, but Sixers are shooting for a title, right? And they, they have a legitimate shot at it. So the calculus there is a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if, if they thought there was no chance, I think they would just go ahead and he would opt for surgery and he'd be out the rest of the season. Because again, have the most time to recover, get back for next season. But again, when you're, you know, in the playoffs and think you have a legitimate shot, you, you, I think you do, you present him with the the options and get a few, I think continue to try to treat this non-operally for the time being is completely appropriate. Yeah. So not all meniscus tears are created equal. Uh, there are some meniscus tears, and this would be a very obvious meniscus tear where you wouldn't want to do this because um, we're, we're, treat him non-operatively, where you would just say, hey, let's go to surgery, because if you're thinking maybe you have a chance to fix a meniscus tear, you wouldn't necessarily want him to play another month or six weeks of NBA-level basketball on a torn meniscus like that. But Clearly, that's not the case here. That that would be something that would be potentially detrimental to his health. So that's clearly not the case here. Um, otherwise, they, they would not be pursuing this pathway. Right. And, you know, so we talked again about like the, the blood supply. So the blood supply really comes from the, the periphery of the, that meniscus. So if you had a tear in that area, in that peripheral area, usually it's a lot bigger. And that meniscus becomes unstable from its attachments on there. So Again, when that meniscus is more unstable, there's probably more pain. There's more mechanical type of symptoms. So again, like it, all that lends to the fact that, again, this is probably a pretty small meniscus tear, not one that need, that would be repaired. Because again, if it's small enough to where he's able to play on it, again, you're, you're very right. I mean, something that's very unlikely to be a repairable meniscus tear. Yeah. And just kind of echo some of the things we said before, you and I have both seen people who have meniscus tears and have no symptoms. We don't take those people to surgery. We just mm -hmm. say, you know, live your life. And if things come up and you have symptoms, particularly pain, come back and see us. Right. I mean, they're, they're, I use the analogy of like a hangnail all the time. I mean, like, you know, you have these hangnails. Sometimes you don't even necessarily notice you have them. And you're like, and if you don't know you have it, you really don't care about it. Same thing with your meniscus tear. But again, it's those, those hangnails where they're just bothering you. It just hurts your finger all the time. You're like, you know what? I got to get some little clippers and, and clip that little piece of skin off. And then once you do that, the pain completely goes away. I mean, the meniscus, a lot of meniscus tears are very similar to that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that wraps up the Joel Embiid part. I wanted to spend a very brief amount of time talking about the Lakers' demise, <laughs> losing last night to the Suns. But, but more so, I, I think there's kind of two schools of thought about the, the injury problems that they've had, Anthony Davis in particular, versus you know kind of what occurred at the end of last year with the bubble and whatnot and also to touch a bit on what Charles Barkley said in the post game where he basically called out the medical staff for allowing Anthony Davis to play and so 
you know, <laughs> I'm no Lakers fan. Um, they've tormented the Warriors for years until the dynasty days of the Warriors. But, um, you know, in their defense, they didn't really have an off season. You know, they won the championship and 10 days later, they're, they're back on the court. And off season's important. And the reason why they do that is, you know, in this case, money, right? They need to put a league on and uh, there's financial implications. But I think it's not necessarily a surprise that the Lakers and the Heat, the finalists from last year, flamed out kind of early. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, like, again, like not having the, the typical offseason and not having that chance to rest after like these really long, brutal seasons. I mean, I think it, t- it takes a toll on these players. I mean, I think you're starting to see that again, like we said about, like, you know, Anthony Davis, LeBron having this injury this year. I mean, Miami and, you know, the two teams that were in the finals last, last year, the bubble, both being eliminated in the first round this year. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the rest is very important when you don't have that, you, that you really have these like overuse types of injuries. I mean, talk about like the the epidemic of like you know Tommy John surgery or elbow injuries in these little league pitchers it's the same thing where they're like they don't have they never have an off season they're playing the travel ball in the winter they're playing multiple teams in the summer and I mean again we understand that with these kids where you're like listen these kids they can't pitch this much or they're going to have these injuries it's the same thing with a professional athlete where again they need to rest as well so I mean I, I think that that's that that was that's a big problem with this I mean, in regards to the medical staff, I mean, again, like it's I think the misconception is that you're black or white, cleared or you're not cleared. Um, I, I, I think the job of the medical staff is really to basically assess the risk of him continuing to play and providing him and the coaching staff and the uh, basically the front office with the knowledge about what the potential risks are of him playing or risks of not playing. So, again, in an elimination game with him with a soft tissue groin injury, the risks are he's not going to play very well. It's going to continue to hurt. He may have um, continue like worsen his strain a little bit, but it's never going to turn into something where it's like a career threatening injury. He's going to need surgery on that. So again, providing Anthony Davis, his agent, the coaches, and again, like the front office with that information, they're the ones who ultimately make the decision and say, Hey, this is an acceptable risk. And you know, we want you to play the decision is going to be to play tonight. So I don't think that you can by any means put it, put all this on the training staff. I I think it's just, one of those things where he had a tough injury in an elimination game. I think there's a lot of players who are going to take those risks and play. Yeah. I thought the exact same thing. And that is, this is a growing strain. It's not going to need surgery. They, he was probably told you probably won't make this worse. It may hurt, but if you want to try it and you want to see how you move around and pregame and in practice, uh, you, you can make a go of it. And as we know, those simulated situations are not the same as real time game situations. You know, the, the energy level, the intensity, it's different. You can't really simulate it. So he may have looked just fine in, in warmups, mm-hmm. but um, unfortunately when the lights come on and the ball's tipped, it, it's a different animal. Absolutely. I mean, especially the speed of the playoffs too. I mean, it's just something that you can't anticipate at all. I mean, again, you, like you're saying, you can't simulate it in practice, but I mean, you, even the speed of a real game, but I mean, you even kick it up an extra notch for the playoffs, and that's just something you can't prepare for until you're actually out there, and you're not going to know yeah. how your body's going to respond to that. Yeah, and you know, I mentioned when I brought this topic up that there was sort of a second school of thought, and that is that the, the bubble wasn't real, that the, the the Lakers championship, and this, you know, I know this because uh, I know a lot of Lakers haters, and that the championship was real, bubble was this artificial situation, 
Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. There may be some truth to that. There's no fans. Definitely the games are different. And they're, you know, the just the evidence for that is that the Lakers and Heat flamed out early. But as we were saying earlier, I think you have a, a good kind of actually, you know, with, with some medical evidence behind it, explanation for the fact that um, both of these teams were just gassed. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's it's completely different in multiple different ways. I mean, you think of I me mean, like the the hard thing about the bubble, too, is, I mean, you have no family. You're living in a hotel for, I mean, in Florida, I mean, away from everything you're used to. I mean, none of the stuff is the same. So, I mean, like there's there's that aspect of it that makes it a lot tougher. But again, I, I think probably the reason why, they, again, they they flamed out early was the the rest. I mean, it's just it's difficult. I mean, and also, I mean, you think like LeBron got hurt, was out for, you know, however long he was out with his ankle. I mean, it's I think the you you think that even though it's LeBron, he's going to be able to flip it on and off. But I mean, it's it's just hard. It's hard for a team to be able to gel at the right time. And it just, it just all those factors just, I think, caught up to the Lakers this year. Yeah. And you've said it multiple times and it's sage advice. You don't just heal your injury and come back and play NBA level basketball. You, you actually got to get back into shape. You got to get your rhythm back. You got to get your touch back. And if anybody watched that game, LeBron played his ass off. You know, some of his teammates could make some threes. It might've been a different story. So LeBron did his part. Um, the dude is a champion. I, I'm not his biggest fan, but like he, he's a great player. The end. Yeah. You know, I've always, I've always been a LeBron fan. I think it's always funny because like he'll, he'll play fantastic. And then somehow he's going to get blamed and this is going to come back as him. And this somehow this is going to be a negative for his career, even though he did everything he could to try to get that team to win. Yeah. Dude is great. He played amazing in spite of, you know, he, tr- he tried to put him on his back last night. He almost did it. Yeah. Um, he, d- he just didn't have enough help, which we've seen a lot with the Golden State Warriors. And I know everybody wants Steph Curry to go to the Lakers, but how about let's get LeBron on the Warriors? Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Drew, any parting thoughts? No, I just got to keep my one-year-old daughter from eating these cicadas out here. Um, but otherwise, no. <laughs> how big is a cicada? Um couple inches long 